Welcome to Lyme Dialogues, the podcast about Lyme disease. My name is Angela Knight. I'm a journalist and I'll be speaking to Lyme patients about their symptoms and how the disease has affected their lives. Today, I'm speaking to writer and publisher Belinda Harley, who has Lyme disease. She's also an author who's written a fabulous book about Greek cooking called Roast Lamb in the Olive Groves, and also a heart-wrenching story, Mad About the Dog, about how she rescued a stray dog called Goofy on the island of Paxos and brought him to England. It's an emotional story about his devotion to his new owner. Welcome to Lyme Dialogues, Belinda. And before I start, I'd like to say that I did have your cookery book on my shelf before I met you. Um, And I'm really sad to say that my daughter's stolen it and it's now in London. But I was mastering a lot of Greek recipes. Strangely enough, it's the perfect lockdown food because it's peasant food. Very simple, frugal things that we have around us, like the weeds in the garden, for example, which can be delicious pies. Yes, with things, even ground elder and nettles, which are all very good, of course, for Lyme sufferers in terms of the vitamins and the minerals that one should be packing into oneself. Well, thanks to your recommendation, I did make a herb pie yesterday. It's nettles and dandelion leaves and pine nuts, all in puff pastry, as you suggested. Um, and it was wonderful. Now, just to say that we were brought together a year ago by a mutual friend who recommended that you get in touch with me because you had Lyme disease. And I think I remember you saying that um, you felt like a boat that had been hulled beneath the waterline. You were feeling so dreadful. Can you tell me when and how you first became ill? Well, I suspect like a lot of Lyme sufferers, it's hidden in their pasts in a way, in that it's the great one for going undetected, unrecognized, of course undiagnosed, and It's only gradually and painfully when you piece together symptoms and things like that, that you actually realize that this is what has been going on for quite a long time. And the hold beneath the waterline, really that fact that even though you don't necessarily look all that terrible, everything about you is no longer functioning properly. And um, in my own case, I rescued a small dog from Greece about 15 years ago. And I live quite near you, Angie, as you know, and I'm actually in the woods with deer all around me. And I tend to write in the summer out on a sort of low teak bench surrounded by long grass with the dog. And of course, I was constantly taking ticks off the dog and I was taking ticks off myself as well. Mm. And I remember going to the local surgery who were not Lyme literate and saying, my gosh, I've got this. And, you know, it was the days when one was offered a a dab of TCP and told to come back if it looked as if it might be, there might be pus or something like that. Mm. And absolutely no treatment. Now, Mm. I actually found that my symptoms, looking back in terms of gastric problems particularly, had started probably about eight years ago. And then three, four years ago, um, I began to be very, really seriously ill. Psychologically, I found, in terms of my personality, because I found it very difficult to think straight. I'd lost, as a writer, 
I sort of complaining, I've lost my synonyms, I've lost my words. And this was the Borrelia crossing the blood brain barrier. And that together with an onset over four years of paresthesia, when people say, oh, it's pins and needles in your hands or your feet or whatever, it is nowhere near that. This is an intrusive electric shocks in waves, painful waves, right across your body. And it's not linked to individual joints, so that sometimes rheumatologists say, oh, well, this is to do with arthritis or whatever. It is something very different. And in my case, three years ago, my sleep pattern suddenly was disturbed and disrupted so dramatically that I could go to bed for my standard eight hours and get only about three hours sleep. And I was woken every 20 minutes or so. And obviously I decided that this was a factor. And it was only a couple of years ago, more recently, when I suddenly got an enormous erythema migraine, big red dartboard with an engaged, engorged tick, about yay big, that had obviously got onto me. And I realized suddenly, I traced back, I read properly, and I realized that this was what was going on. And that in my case, one particular very painful and big tick bite about a good decade ago, which had been completely untreated, would have left me in a stage where the spirochetes would have been playing merry hell, going through into the tissues, unimpeded, and a great deal of the dialogue that goes on now about, oh, well, there's no such thing as persistent Lyme, or there's no such thing as chronic Lyme, I think entirely disregards the fact that in England, where ignorance has been the rule, often a vast majority of those who are suffering from Borrelia and co-infections have been completely untreated. So it's not that it's managing to um, overcome antibiotics. No antibiotics or any form of treatment has been in place. And then, of course, you're in a very difficult position. So that's really my story. But at the beginning of Belinda's journey to seek help, she was referred to countless consultants and had to undergo a variety of tests. I have to say also that I have had, as I suspect you have, the occasional light at the end of the tunnel or something that actually has kept us going because I felt terribly demoralised by the fact that I went to a London doctor who misreferred me to the neurologist and then to the diagnostician saying this lady has just had a tick bite and has a bit of tingling in her hands and feet when I'd already supplied him with 10 years with blood tests with full medical history of extended whatever and he just not referred to it so I went through nine months of neurologists putting me through brain scans, um, CT scans, whole body scans, electroconduction tests, all the rest of it, and working out, no, I didn't have MS, no, I didn't have such and such, such and such, right the way through, while all the time my symptoms were getting worse. I hit bottom last summer when I went off to Paxos and I had been in such a brain fog, I couldn't write, I could not sleep at all. Suddenly, the bad sleeplessness became total with the paresthesia. And I just didn't think it, life was worth living. And by an amazing thing, my Greek friend out there said, I said, I must get to a doctor, really. I started um, emailing the rheumatologist I'd been seeing, rather desperately saying, is 
it worth my flying home? Um, or is there nothing you can do? Because quite frankly, I feel as if the best thing for me would be to walk out into the sea and not come back. Or since this, I don't think there's much in the way of doctors on the island, I'll go to a vet and ask to be put down. Not finding a vet, she did hear that there was a doctor on the island. My great great friend said, oh, Belinda, there's only a doctor called Michaelis who actually has a hero's place in this story. Um, he chats a lot and we don't think he's very good, but he's the only one up in the hills. So I went there and it was, Angie, it was the most extraordinary thing because he was giving five simultaneous consultations, being the only doctor. And there was a woman with some form of rather terrible prolapse. There was a man coughing his lungs out, probably from Greek cigarettes. There was somebody on his Bluetooth he was advising in voluble Greek about something else. And there was a man on the couch with half his leg, a mass of blood and bone, having come off his motorbike. And I said, with my very limited Greek, and he had very limited English, but then I discovered the first bit of luck we had was that paresthesia, paresthesia, Greek word, insomnia, insomnia, Greek word, Borrelia, Borrelia, the Borrelia, yes. absolutely all the same. And it turned out that this doctor was from a Greek teaching hospital in Athens. He actually knew all about Lyme because Lyme is endemic in Greece. And he had come to Paxos because Athens isn't a city where you'd like to raise your children necessarily. And it was my great good fortune. I managed to download the Armin tests that the Armin labs had done, which were much more rigorous and sophisticated than the um, rather dismissive one page one gets from unlikely to be from Porton Down. And he immediately fastened onto the fact of my neutropenia, of the fact that I, my white blood cells had gone. There was a chronic chronic infection obviously that had been going on and my immune system was down and he said the only thing we can do for you that's absolutely vital is we will build up your immune system and every single day I had to go to that tiny little shack and I'd have massive proper shots in the backside of um, a file of vitamin b1 b6 and b12 I'd have drinkable little oils of vitamin d and I'd have effervescent magnesium at good strength too, daily. And then it was going to become weekly and then fortnightly or monthly to make sure. And I have to say that a bit of amitriptyline, which doesn't really cure anything at all, but masks the symptoms slightly so that just to give you a sense of being slightly more on an even keel. And that is what actually, with the help of the herbal side of things, your own advice to me when I first met you was that you had been round the block several times looking at what was available. With this treatment helping Belinda's immune system, she also began to experiment with natural herbal remedies. I've been on stevia leaf extract. The thing that has particularly helped me is sister's tea. Now, I know that Klinghart recommends this and a number of others who specialise in Lyme. And I was lucky in that I was just reading up about this when I was leaving Greece and I went down into the port and there was the herb, the, the spice shop. Isn't it wonderful to think that there's a spice shop, if only we had them. And there, in scented bags for five euros each, were freshly gathered rock rose leaves, which is Cistus incarnus. So I bought those and I have since been replenishing my store. And as a micro antimicrobial, I believe in this. 
And I'd done a certain amount of background history too, because the Greek peasants in my book, who I was able to go picking wild weeds with and wildflowers and looking at the medicinal qualities. If you imagine over the centuries you're on that island, herbal medicine is absolutely crucial. And there was always something called vuno, mountain tea, which is dried herbs and dried grasses, different weeds. It's an extraordinary aromatic tea. And it is known actually as the strongest decongestant known to man, which is a rather interesting one as we're here with our coronavirus. Yes. And incredibly useful because they would use it for the bronchitic colds that had closed up the lungs and whatever. Absolutely fascinating. Mm. So I have got a great deal of time for the antimicrobial and the herbal supplements at the moment. I am once once checked that they're not going to do you any harm. We should be contributing, I feel, to the knowledge of this. I know you suffered really badly with insomnia. Have you managed to master it in any way? The paresthesia, as anybody who's suffering from that will know, is that when you're lying awake, of course, you can't empty your mind or just concentrate on your body because it's your body that's keeping you awake. So I have a rigmarole of listening to a play on an iPad or preferably something I've heard before so that I'm not trying to listen to find out what's happening that will actually act as a sort of form of mental white noise to keep my mind from revolving different things. A friend of Belinda's who also had Lyme recommended Vedic meditation at the London and New York Meditation Centre. So Belinda decided to try their free introductory talk in London. The teacher of 20 years experience explained that this is not the sort of meditation where you sit cross-legged, uncomfortable and go on. It teaches you basically to sit as we're sitting now, relaxed on a chair and learn how to relax very deeply. It's the oldest Vedic meditation. It also has had a number of scientific tests. It does lower your blood pressure. It lowers your cortisol levels. And it is felt that probably the rest that your body and mind receive in the course of a 20-minute meditation twice a day is the equivalent or even better than REM sleep. Now, to a girl who hadn't had any REM sleep for quite a long time, just immediately sent me there and I did a a long weekend of um, classes and then you're ready to go and I must say it improves one's sleeping pattern it takes away the panic and I think there are moments uh, would you agree when there is a sense of panic because of the powerlessness that one feels I mean, you feel bad enough as it is with Lyme, but to not have sleep as well, it just is a double whammy, isn't it, really? And of course, one's read up about the fact that there's essential things like the immune system and one's own physical capabilities for healing are all totally mortally affected by a lack of sleep, to say nothing of the personality changes one feels one's going through. Yes. Um, Irritability. Terrible things like that. What does Belinda wish she'd known about Lyme when she first became ill? When I look at pictures of children running through long grass, you often see on advertisements for cereals, people running through fields of wheat or whatever. (laughs) And and they're in the tiniest of shorts with a bare midriff. And you think, oh, goodness. 
you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> yes. I'm sure um, all Lyme patients feel like that as well, don't you? Absolutely. And gosh, when I was younger, I did such and such. That marvellous feeling of lying on grass. Um, I have to say that the most important thing that I'd wish I'd known was that it's an awful thing to say, but one really shouldn't in this country expect doctors to know what's happened to you when you've had a tick bite. Read up about it. Belinda once worked on a health portfolio for the Prince of Wales. I did a lot of research into not just complementary medicine, but every area, because he was president of the Royal College of General Practitioners when we were writing speeches and things like that. And I learnt to question. And one of the things I learnt particularly was that in the case of most doctors, if they're not familiar with Lyme, when they skim the surface of finding out, they discover that actually the blood tests are often between 50 and 70% false negatives. Therefore, they can't get a handle on it. They don't know enough. They also don't know if there's any cure or any proper, even palliative things that they can recommend. And therefore, they do what the Australian doctors call, this is a marvellous phrase, throwing the dead cat over the neighbour's fence. <laughs> they refer you by saying, oh, it's probably something else. It's understandable, it's human nature, but it's certainly not helpful. Yes. I must say I was lucky to have, as a doctor, a GP, the vice president of the Royal College of GPs. And I must say... Oh, the great Tim Ballard. Yes. Yes. One of the few who you could go to with Lyme, who recognised the symptoms and could diagnose you clinically. Not Mm. that I was, because I already had got a positive test, but Mm. at least you knew you were talking to someone who recognised the symptoms and who didn't consider you an idiot. What advice would you give to someone who's recently been diagnosed with Lyme? I would say there's an acid test, really, in that if you are going to see your NHS doctor, you can very politely ask if they're familiar with Lyme. You should absolutely, certainly, if you have had exposure to Lyme and you're experiencing some of the symptoms, even if it wasn't an erythema migraines, and I understand that there's now mounting evidence that erythema migraines comes after a previous exposure, yes, rather than being the first alarm bell, you should say, please refer me, because I found that Another doctor, NHS, not Lyme literate, actually left me a message on my answer phone saying, oh, yes, well, we're not going to refer you because you live in a town. Now, actually, I didn't live in a town. But one of the most important things is that you can be an old lady in a tower block who doesn't go out. If your cat comes in with ticks, you can get Lyme disease. So there's no such thing. It's in gardens. It's in parks. Even a bit of trotting around in lockdown. What would you cook that you'd recommend for a Lyme patient? I would say there are gastric problems, which I know about myself with Lyme. Um, I would say that there are certain things that if the gastric side is a problem that you should avoid, strong coffee, because that can give you the griping sensations, etc. Certainly avoid nicotine because it can make paresthesia much worse sugar and worst of all diet coke as we know the spirochetes in your blood they feed on sugar 
they fizz away. You can actually physically feel the fizzing. Mm -hmm. And there is also strong evidence that ingestion of sugar lowers your immune system. They've actually measured it. So I would say full lime, treat yourself very kindly, but look at good fish, look at a vegetable and um, fruit diet. I would say green leaves, garlic, a number of things like that. I also would incorporate turmeric. In fact, when I'm making at the moment during lockdown and I have a chicken and the chicken carcass goes in to make a wonderful stock that will later go into a risotto. And here I use the weeds again. I use nettles for a magnificent risotto. The chicken stock, I add a teaspoon of turmeric to it, which gives you a lovely golden colour to the stock. But it's also because it's fat binding that I understand makes the turmeric more efficient. And it also, of course, helps with arthritis. And a lot of us are facing an uncertain future with Lyme because of arthritis is coming along in a slipstream, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I've had um, two new hips because of Lyme arthritis. So I know what you're talking about. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Belinda. Thank you so much for joining Lyme Dialogues. And thank you also for the fact that what you do, I think, with your own Lyme disease action and with these dialogues, it's helped me because when I first met you, I was at a very low ebb, feeling totally despondent about ever getting anywhere. And I think that the more we can do things like that, particularly for those who maybe had a remission and then plunged back into it again, all of those things that are out there. Let us hope that because there are lots of things just around the corner to be discovered, we can push Lyme properly up the health agenda again. If you know others who would be interested in Belinda's Lyme story, please share this podcast. And if you'd like to tell me your Lyme story, please go to the website limedialogues.podbean.com Until next time, when I'll be talking to a UN advisor and human rights activist for Lyme sufferers. Until then, take care and goodbye.